big deal at Intel learning, building there, and then eventually joined up with the ESW team and eventually Think3 recently launched billion dollar basically buyout fund playing. Think of it almost like micro Vista equity, uh, right? Buying companies like business apps, doing somewhere between call it as little as three and five million in ARR up to much larger deals, uh, building them, running them, and then applying horizontal management to make them efficient afterwards, holding them for a decade to do do two decades, taking margin to generate those returns. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Andy Triba. He's currently running Think3, which is getting very, very active in the B2B SaaS space. He also has his own operating experience in many of these companies. We're going to dive in today. Andy, are you ready to take us to the top? Uh, absolutely. All right. So for folks that have not heard of Think3, kind of tell us what the fund does and how you operate, what you look for. Sure. Yeah. So Think3 is a, is a billion dollar fund specifically designed to give SaaS uh, founders uh, another chance to get another shot on goal, right? If you think about a lot of these companies, if they raise a bunch of money and they're growing at double, double, triple on their revenue, that, that's great. But a lot of these companies are are growing well, 20 or 30%, but they're not going to grow a, a horn anytime soon. So what we do is we enable those founders that are kind of stuck in this situation to then go uh, start something else. Uh, and we buy those company founders thousand dollars in uh, and basically a, a non-equity gift to go start something new. And, and give me a sense of, uh, I, we know we were just talking about business apps, but give me a sense of one or two deals you've done so far, just to really make the picture clear. Sure. Yeah. The business apps is, is a perfect example, right? So, so Andrew Gazek, started that when he was in college, you know, grew the, the company to uh, several million dollars. It's, you know, it's, it's growing great, but you know, he's been doing that for quite some time and he wanted to go start something else. So uh, there wasn't really a liquidation option for him. He certainly wasn't going IPO or anything like that. So, so we got together, we talked about, you know, what else he was interested in. So we looked at his current company, we bought it, we took it over. And now literally we're setting the foundations to run that for the next decade. While he goes off and uh, and starts his, his next company. Yeah, I, you know, we had him on back in, I want to say it was August of last year. And, you know, he gave us some of the data, right? Founded in 2010. He'd raised, I think, entirety, about 110,000 bucks, which is just incredible considering he'd, he'd broke, he shared his MRR number about 1.5 million a month, less than 2% churn, you know, $500 ARPU across a customer base of over 3,000 customers. And uh, I'm, I'm just sitting here going, wow, I wonder how he takes money off the table here. Because if you founded it in 2010, People are going to look at eight years and go, ah, he should be way bigger than this to go the venture route, right? But secondaries are an option, and that's where it's a perfect fit for kind of the think three model. Give entrepreneurs liquidity, let them go do their next thing. Exactly right. And we fundamentally believe that there's all of this pent-up intellectual capital in people like Andrew, right? So obviously, great startup founder, tons of idea. And but he's, you know, in with that company that, you know, didn't really have very many options at that point. So uh, except for to run it forever. So that's what we'll do. Let him go off and, and go do something absolutely great. And if you look at a lot of unicorns, for example, something that Cowboy Ventures did analysis on, you know, they 90 uh, percent of those teams that actually worked together in the past and the average founder uh, age is actually 34. So 
uh, you know, you look at that, that and you're like, hey, find founders like that, give them an opportunity to sell their current company to go take their teams and go start something else. Yep. No, it makes a lot of sense. So how many deals have you done today? Well, first off, when was the fund launched and how many deals have you done to, up to this point? Yeah. So, so we launched uh, the fund, I guess, uh, about uh, eight months ago or so. So it's relatively new, but but we're actually a part of uh, ESW Capital. And ESW Capital, we've done 65 deals over the last decade or so. So we come with a lot of operational experience, but this fund specifically of our SaaS founders is relatively new. So we've only done you know a few deals to date, but we're, uh, we've got a ton of inbound requests and, and now we're basically evaluating a lot of those deals. When the news came out, I remember because I'm an LP and a lot of funds, I said, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And they said, oh, this is good marketing by ESW. Maybe there's like a billion, maybe it's not a billion, but regardless, this story of helping founders get liquidity who don't fit these other molds is a great story and they'll get deal flow from it. It seems like that's panned out exactly probably how you planned. Yeah, no, it, it's been great. And, uh, you know, we obviously didn't just do it for the, the story or the lead gen element of it. You know, as a, as a founder myself, I've started five companies, I guess, over the last 15 years. And uh, and, and I, I feel for these founders and, and you want to build these great companies. And, you, and whenever you are a founder, you're you're, you're always getting beat up on, hey, your idea is dumb, you're dumb, you don't know how to run a company, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you always fight that and you convince yourself that you, know, you have to protect this company that you've done and, and therefore you get wedded to it versus saying, hey, you know what? That was my first draft. Great. You know what? Let me find a quick exit. Let me go to draft two, draft three, draft four, draft five and really create this portfolio like effect with your life. Because you really only have 15 years or so to be a founder. Because uh, at some point, you know, you're sick of eating ramen noodles and you got kids and all that other good jazz that, that catches up. So you're like, but you want to take as many shots on goals as possible. So we created this to go and make that happen for them. So, so I, I'm curious how, and you can't obviously talk, I imagine, about specific negotiations, but from a psychological perspective, if I'm Andrew and I'm running a company doing one five a month, right, and only a one ten in, so I'm in full control, I can essentially pull cash out however I want. It's hard for me to get excited about selling that unless the multiple is just through the roof. You obviously don't want to pay a multiple through the roof. So there's a there's a give and take. You have to kind of tell the, the founders the story you just told me, which is you've learned so much. Get out of this. Go take a second shot. We'll support you. Walk me through for founders listening right now that might be great deals for you. What other things would you tell them where it's worth giving up that cash flow for them for the, the lump sum check from you? Sure. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a, that's a fair question. And, and I have this conversation a lot with, with founders. And, and basically, I tell them is within that three, that first three years of you starting the company, you kind of know at that point whether or not that hockey stick's going to occur or whether it's not going to occur. You know, everyone talks about, oh, pivot this, pivot that. Oh, you know, look at what Slack did. But that's incredibly rare. Kind of back towards that, that same Cowboy Ventures um, analysis, 90% of those unicorns never pivoted. Right. And we, we, we created this this cute little word like called pivot that sounds really awesome. But in reality, back in the day, we would say, OK, that idea sucked. It didn't work. So now I'm going to go try another one. And, uh, and and simply so when I tell founders, I'm like, guys, in the first three years, if, if you are you know growing your revenues again, triple, triple, double, 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 triple, however you want to, uh, uh, you know, it's got to be triple digit uh, caggers year on year. And if it's not then you need to take a good hard look and say, is this company ever really going to have that, that hockey stick? And it could, again, be a fine company growing at 20 or 30%, but is that your best shot? And do you want to go do that for the next eight years and really have two shots on goal or maybe one shot on goal in, in your entire career? Or do you want to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take my learnings and I'm going to go do something else. Even if there is cash flow and what have you that's coming out of that, like what's the opportunity cost? For your next venture. And, and that's the discussion that I like founders to get into, where they're like, great, every three years, if I do this, man, over that 15 year time period, I can take five shots on goal. 
versus one or two. And, you know, what are your odds of winning the game at that point? So, yeah, we're all in Austin, Texas. You know, Vista Equity is maybe the largest buyer in the private kind of B2B SaaS space. You're in the same building with the Frost Tower downtown. Someone's listening right now. What makes you, you know, you guys are very different fund sizes, things like that. But what would make you, uh, where are you two different? What would make Vista better fit for a company versus you and vice versa? Sure. Yeah, no. So I I know the Vista guys well, Brian, Robert. I've got tons of respect for them and, and what they do. And they're obviously the world's best. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm humble enough to say I'm not even in the same sentence as, as what they do. And, uh, and they obviously have to put a lot more capital in play. So, so we go all the way down into the, you know, three to $5 million range of, of these uh, SaaS companies. And I think that's a space that they just simply don't play in because they've got to you know, be looking for a billion dollar or several hundred million dollar companies. So, so we're much, much smaller. And I think that also enables a lot of these SaaS founders again, to kind of fit into our uh, envelope versus say something that, uh, that a larger firm like Vista would go after. Yep. And do you, do you look at, I mean, are there any uh, minimums for you in terms of, Hey, we've got to see at least this much go through over your churn, you know, net churn on our, on our revenue basis lower than this, any kind of hard metrics like that you need to be above? Yeah. You know, we, um, we look for definitely ARR, uh, you know, north of, you know, 3 million, ideally in the, in the five to 10 million. Uh, and then we also look for a, um, uh, gross retention of, of at least 80%. And what that simply tells us is you have something that's sticky, right? And, and all the things that, that we purchase are, are in that B2B space. So we do look for that that stickiness. Now, it doesn't actually have to be growing at, at some percentage. Uh, and also doesn't really have to be profitable because what we really do is we take that team and we use kind of our horizontal core uh, you know, uh, competencies to have a shared engineering or shared finance and things like that. And that's actually how we're able to run these companies forever. In that, you know, many of these SaaS companies, unfortunately, they don't have economies of scale because they're only whatever two to five million dollars. And therefore, you know, it costs a lot to have the, you know, the help desk software, the Salesforce software, what have you. So by leveraging that across a lot of these, then we can actually run them profitably. And walk me through kind of what your kind of the, your, the SWAT team you've articulated, what it looks like. So there's you. How many other people on the Think3 team? Yeah, so um, I guess I would separate the the Think Three team into the folks that run the business and the and the folks that kind of you know work with the entrepreneurs early on because um, you know, obviously we've got we got a, a funnel of folks that uh, that work with sales side investment bankers look at the um, uh, the inbound leads coming in you know go to the shows like Saster we just came back from Saster Europe for example right talking to a bunch of entrepreneurs and, and things like that and whether or not it'd be the right fit for a model like this and whether or not it makes sense for, for their company so there's a handful of folks on that side of the world that that kind of evaluate those deals as well as talk to entrepreneurs uh, but the bigger team is on the operational side because again when we buy these companies we're not buying it to shine it up throw some debt on it and try to go find a buyer we're buying companies that we feel that we can run for the next decade or two, right? So the first thing that we do is we really look at the core foundation of the product and ensure that we make the right technical decisions on, you know, perhaps even rewriting the underlying software if it was kind of done without the right level of software diligence. We then go to our the customer customers and we really focus on customer success and we apply a customer success team on that. So so we've got, you know, I mean, we, we share a lot of those resources with ESW, but there's definitely in, in the, you know, in the thousands when it comes to a lot of those shared resources. Who do you keep? So business apps just happened. Do you keep the whole team in San Diego? And then your team is kind of, you came in kind of as CEO and there's maybe other people you put in as consultants or something. I'm, I'm curious what the ratio is there. Yeah, you know, so uh, a part of uh, this uh, Think3 model is actually enabling the founder to take uh, his team with him. 
Okay. Right. Uh, or as much as his team as, as he would want. Now, obviously, you know, w- within the first hundred days, we do a, a pretty extensive knowledge transfer system where we do, you know, basically peer everything, peer programming, peer support, you know, peer customer uh, engagement, redline deals, you know, the whole nine yards. And so we assume that, you know, nobody's going to be there. Now, with that said, you know, we, we, we like to keep some of the some of the, the core uh, talent and what have you that's there. But but we basically designed a, a model where even if everyone were to leave, we can continue to run the company profitably. And yeah, that's not easy. It'll be curious as you build up your your sample cohort here of these companies and maybe you publish articles on this or give more interviews in a year or two to hear how you really master that process. Because I know Vista obviously is using a consultant approach, keeping most of the team. You're coming in as CEO. I want to talk about your schedule for a second. So if I just look at your LinkedIn, I'm sure this doesn't even cover everything. It seems like you're coming in as CEO as most of these companies, right? Business apps, uh, Engine Yard, there's a few others. I mean, what does your day-to-day look like? Do you spend a Monday on one, a Tuesday on another? What's it look like? Yeah, so um, uh, I actually don't, I try to do as much horizontal uh, as possible. So I'll look at, you know, I'll have a horizontal renewals team, for example, and I'll spend time talking about renewals and how we're doing across all of the groups. I'll have a horizontal customer success team, for example, that will talk about the health of each one of the the company's uh, top customers and upcoming QBRs and things like that. Same deal with support, same deal with engineering and what have you. So obviously there are customer specific meetings as it relates to the companies, but uh, for the most part, everything else, uh, I try to run horizontal. So therefore I I then just stack rank uh, my priority for the, the quarter. And then I then stack rank my priority for the month. And then I apply percentages of the week that I basically would apply to each one of them. And then I calculate that times the number of hours. And then uh, my awesome admin makes sure that I spend exactly that many hours uh, on, on those particular activities. And, and I find that you know, since there's, there's – and people forget this. So there's 168 hours in the week. And even if you were to sleep eight hours a day every day, that's 56 hours. So there's 112 hours left over that you're well slept. Uh, and uh, you're awake, right? So it's like, how do you then want to leverage that 112 hours? And obviously, you know, I've got kids and family, so you want to allocate a certain amount of time for that also. But the rest of it, there's there's more time in, in the week than people realize. And it's just how you actually prioritize that and how do you make sure that that time doesn't bleed? So I'm not quite as diligent as, say, Elon Musk going to the five-minute increments, but yep. I'm, I'm a big fan of ensuring at least you understand where your time goes. Let's talk about returns. So this kind of fun, uh, it sounds like you said you want to hold it for decades. Are you just taking cash flow, paying dividends out to LPs? What's the return look like for LPs? Or is it is your only LP ESW? So it's really kind of streamlined there. Yeah, no, it's uh, so it's it's a uh, it's a tight set of of investors uh, for sure, and um, and ESW is obviously the, the majority of that. So so that ends up being nice from a simplicity perspective and and what have you. Uh, and then yeah, and then and then we we operate these on. Uh, whatever margin structure uh, will make sense for these businesses. And oftentimes, you know, you can do, you know, anywhere between 50 and 70% net margin, a lot of these businesses, because of the fact that you're kind of running them horizontal. Mm-hmm. And and no debt. You haven't put any debt on any companies you've done. Uh, no debt, all, all cash deals. Yeah. And that's one, that's one of the, uh, we win a lot of deals because we are all cash and then we, uh, we close in 30 days. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fast cycle. You know, we don't do, uh, you know, we don't throw a lot of these guys through these crazy processes and what have you that takes three months or whatever else maybe. Well, Andy, sorry, I'm in, I'm in on the back end of that. So let's say, yeah, you close with cash because you have that cash pile. But afterwards, let's look at business apps, for example. A company like Hercules would come in on 1.5 monthly, right? They would go up to maybe 30, maybe 36 months of AAR, help you take down your equity portion of that deal after the fact, even after you made it streamlined for the founder. Will you put on equity after the deal? I mean, uh, sorry, debt. Yeah, no, no, we won't put any debt on it because uh, again, we're running this all for cash, 
and we're running it for the the next several you know in a decade or two, right? So when you, whenever you have a 10-year or a 20-year horizon on running these companies, uh, you, you don't want to actually put on debt and things like that and service that. You want to just kind of run it profitably and run it great for you know, as, however long as you can and, and continue to, to grow the business. Interesting. Even if you get great interest rates and, and that lump sum cash up front from the debt component allows you to then go reinvest on other things, you don't, you don't, it doesn't make sense for you. Yeah, no, um, you know, we use a, a, a small amount of debt on some of the larger deals within ESW. Uh, you know, I think uh, we did Jive software last year for whatever it was, $450 million or whatever. So so sometimes in, in those scenarios, we will uh, leverage the, the debt side of the world. But uh, but we're big fans of just, got, just pay cash for it run it profitably, run a great company. Yeah. And I'll say the jive deal. I, I don't, I always, because I have so many conversations like this, I forget sometimes which ones are private and which ones are public. So I won't talk specific numbers, but I do have a friend very close to all of the jive action and, and the numbers were incredible. What you guys have done there. So I know it's, it seems to be working. It seems to be doing well. Uh, let's wrap up here, Andy, with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? My favorite business book is uh, probably made to stick by Chip and Dan Heath. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, so, uh, I'm a big uh, believer and I love everything that Andy Grove does. Uh, I was, I was at Intel for 14 years. So everything I get my hand on everything from the high output management to, you know, only paranoid survive, you name it. I, I read everything about Andy. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building and running all these companies? Uh, favorite online tools. Um, let's see. So, uh, I'd probably say that, uh, my work smart tool that we developed as part of crossover is my favorite tool because it's, it's all about time management and how you're really spending your day and the analytics around all that is, is super important. In my life. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, I'm, I'm healthy on the sleep side. I probably average six and a half to seven every night. That's good. And situation. I know you mentioned kids and married earlier, but married, how many kids? Yeah. Yeah. So married, I've got two kids. I've got two little girls, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. Oh, great. That's great. And how old are you, Andy? Uh, I'm, I'm 40. I just turned 40 this year. Oh, congratulations. Great. Last, uh, well, depending on if people value that or not, right? I'd say congratulations. It means wisdom, right? Some people go, don't call me old. I want to be 40. I don't want to be 40. All right. Take us home here. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? I wish my 20-year-old self knew that you can you can swing for the fences and uh, sometimes you hit the ball and sometimes you you miss the ball, but like, get up and, and swing again. I, I do wish that that uh, that you know that level of thinking was more permeated across the, the young kids because literally, particularly when you're 20, you got nothing to lose. You literally got nothing to lose. Like swing for the fences, guys, and like you know go at it. Guys, swing for the fences. You've got nothing to lose. Again, Andy joining us. Did his own thing for many years. Big, you know, big deal at Intel, learning, building there, and then eventually joined up with the ESW team and eventually Think3 recently launched billion dollar basically buyout fund playing. Think of it almost like micro Vista equity, uh, right? Buying companies like business apps, doing somewhere between call it, as little as three and five million in ARR up to much larger deals, uh, building them, running them, and then applying horizontal management to make them efficient afterwards, holding them for a decade to do, de- do two decades, taking margin to generate those returns. Andy, thank you so much for taking us to the top. Right. Thanks, Sam.